me your hand! Show me your hand! There was a woman right beside her car with um, a seven-year-old boy who had multiple stab wounds and bleeding profusely. A scene of carnage in North Vancouver. One person is dead in a mass stabbing that appears to have been a random attack. Plus... Instead of an abundance of caution that we're adding one more layer of protection. A new mask mandate for some elementary school students in Surrey, more than a year into the pandemic. And arrests after a protest shuts down a major Vancouver intersection, but this time it's not about pipelines. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. We begin with breaking news tonight and what has been an afternoon of horror in North Vancouver. Police have a suspect in custody after a mass stabbing at the Lynn Valley Library. And we can now confirm one of those victims has died. Julia Foy is live at the scene of the rampage with the very latest. Julia. Well, Colleen, this is a community in shock. This quiet neighborhood started their Saturday, a day for coffee and shopping. But by early afternoon, it had turned into a tragic crime scene with one dead and six stabbed victims sent to hospital. It was not coherent at all. It was just like screaming. I just couldn't tell what he was saying. Like it was someone else I heard say something about a knife. North Van resident Mary Craver was inside the Lynn Valley Library for a book sale around one Saturday afternoon when all hell broke loose. How many people were you running with? Probably about a dozen. Yeah, we all just started running towards the mall just to get out of there. Witnesses say a man with a knife was stabbing people inside the library. Then the suspect went outside and allegedly attacked a woman in this SUV. We were driving up Lynn Valley Road and there was a woman right beside her car with um, a seven-year-old boy who had multiple stab wounds and bleeding profusely. We helped her into Brown's social house and uh, made sure she was okay. Witnesses say dozens of families with children ran for their lives, trying to get away from the terrifying scene. He immediately turned to go look for other victims. There was another 25-year-old woman with multiple stab wounds in the face that we were helping, but somebody else was already there. Um, there's at least six victims that we can count within a within a 50-foot radius, so it was pretty traumatic. Emergency crews flooded the area, and a suspect was taken down just a few blocks from the crime scene. They caught him, yeah, they just caught him at the end of the road, and they had multiple police officers on him. He was down on the ground. The coroner arrived on scene by mid-afternoon. Several witnesses were taken onto a city bus as part of the investigation into what could have led up to this horrific attack. Now, we are expecting to hear from Sergeant Frank Jang in the next couple of minutes from the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team. He should be giving us more information on anything that they've been able to, to discern right now about what might have led up to this terrible, terrible attack that, as mentioned, has left one person dead. Several people were injured. We do not have an update on their status right now. We're hoping to have that information for you as soon as it becomes available. Back to you, Colleen. All right, Julia, we will check back in with you. Thank you. More than a week after a woman filmed someone allegedly stalking her in Vancouver, another Lower Mainland woman says she also feels compelled to speak out. Melanie Johnson says a strange man followed her while she was walking in a Burnaby Park this week. Nadia Stewart has more. Honestly, I thought I was going to die, and it was terrifying. 
Melody Johnson refuses to stay silent about what happened to her while walking along the trail in Burnaby Lake Regional Park on Wednesday afternoon, hoping to warn other women after a man she did not know began following her. As I was entering the park, uh, there was a man that was exiting. I did have just a gut feeling and I just didn't feel good about it. And a couple of minutes later, I realized that he had turned around and was walking behind me. Johnson says she tried multiple times to evade him, stopping to tie her shoelaces so he could pass her, but it did not work. He ended up behind me again somehow. I'm not entirely sure how. Johnson says he did this three times, following her for over 30 minutes. Finally, she spotted a woman walking along the path, asking her to walk with her to the end of the trail. Another woman joined them. They called RCMP, snapping this photo of the unidentified man. Every time that I had an opportunity to look at his face, he turned his face away and he had his hood up, so his face was shadowed. Hey, do you mind if I, guys, if I sit with you guys? This guy's literally been following me in circles yeah, cool. for like 40 minutes and I've been recording it. A Vancouver woman recently went public with video of a similar incident. It's not clear whether it's the same man or if there's some kind of connection. Both incidents remain under investigation. Johnson says she is hearing from other women. A lot of women have reached out and said, wow, I run that trail all the time, so I'm going to be really careful now. As she warns them to stay safe and alert, both on and off the trails. Nadia Circle News. A major change is coming for some Surrey students returning to class after spring break, and it's one many teachers and parents have been calling for for months. The Surrey School District announced today all students in grade four and higher will have to wear a mask indoors with limited exceptions. Kristen Robinson has more on the Fraser Health order that comes more than a year into the pandemic. Effective immediately, all students in grades 4 to 12 and all K to 12 staff must keep their masks on inside Surrey schools, including in the classroom. It's good news to get uh, a clear, clear advice on masks. It's also a sign that COVID is still alive and well and out there. And the fact that health believes we need to take additional measures, specifically in Surrey, means that um, there's still great cause for concern. BC's largest school district has seen more COVID-19 exposures than any other and has also been the site of multiple exposures involving variants of concern. The Surrey situation clearly um, given the, the level of cases in Surrey, the level of variant of concern cases in Surrey requires uh, additional layers of protection. But why now? Surrey teachers have been calling for a mask mandate for months, even staging walkouts. Still, BC's health minister says the move was a collaboration and the province wasn't worried that teachers weren't going to show up for work. No, it's uh, obviously many people are contributing to the debate, and that's important. But uh, this is all of these measures. Including those rolled out before spring break, when the Surrey District limited adult contact in schools and worked to ensure students and parents vacate school grounds when classes end. Fraser Health is also on track to vaccinate more than 8,500 Surrey school staff by April 1st, with the city seeing the highest levels of transmission in B.C., doctors say the mask mandate fits. That, to me, represents we have too much COVID in the community right now. And what we do know about COVID is that masks work and distancing work. So even with the variants of concern, these measures should help reduce the spread of it. K-3 students will be strongly encouraged to mask up, while those with certain health conditions will be exempt. Kristen Robinson, Global News.
Another mass vaccination clinic was held today, this time for some employees of the Earl's restaurant chain. The company tells Global News employees at their Ambleside location are now being vaccinated. Staff at the Earl's Whistler location was part of a community vaccination blitz due to a cluster of cases at the resort municipality over the winter. But the company isn't saying why its West Van staff is being immunized right now. Health officials had earlier announced that AstraZeneca vaccine would be administered to some frontline workers and following any incidents of community transmissions. That has been targeted in places where we know essential workers are, uh, are working or where there have been sites of outbreaks or potential outbreaks from what I understand. So uh, from Whistler, I understand that there've been uh, very high cases recently. So I understand why there's a targeted approach there, similar to how we saw in Prince Rupert recently. Um, I haven't heard specifically about the Earls in West Vancouver, but I anticipate the rationale behind that falls within these lines. We could learn more this week about how arts and culture establishments could begin reopening around B.C. as that sector continues to be hit hard by the pandemic. B.C.'s Minister of Tourism, Arts, Culture and Sports says a meeting has been scheduled Tuesday with Dr. Bonnie Henry to discuss recovery efforts. It comes as the province announced $16 million in funding this past week to help support organizations and venues. This supplement is expected to help cover lost revenue and help keep artists and staff members employed while a reopening plan is formulated. Next week, uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry and I and Parliamentary Secretary Bob Deeth are meeting with the arts sector uh, to, to see how we can support them uh, to make sure that they've got audiences in front of them. We've got festivals and theaters to go to um, in, in the coming months because we're getting there. We're making progress as the vaccine rolls out. Vancouver's Canby Street Bridge was temporarily shut down this afternoon as about 150 environmental activists took over the span, then blocked a major intersection. As Imadi Gahi reports, six people were arrested for their attempts to protest BC's old-growth forest logging. The decision to hold a rally of this size during a sensitive moment in the pandemic was not taken lightly. The group putting on this demonstration Saturday says time is of the essence. These ecosystems are vital and they must be protected immediately. Their goal is to show that support is growing for a blockade on the front lines of a dispute surrounding logging of an ancient section of forest on Vancouver Island near Port Renfrew. Imagine if this was an endangered animal. Imagine if this was the rhinoceros or the, an endangered tiger and the world was watching our government not protect it. Since August, a camp there has held strong, made up of a group determined to stop what they say is potential logging of trees up to a thousand years old in a watershed called Ferry Creek. We will block road construction into Ferry Creek for eternity. There will be no building of roads into that watershed. But this coming Thursday, a B.C. Supreme Court judge could decide whether to grant an injunction applied for by the forestry company Teal Jones Group to remove the blockade even if it comes down to arrest. And while the B.C. Green Party is calling for a deferral on logging old growth, the province is standing by for now saying that approach risks thousands of good family-supporting jobs. The province also saying that it knows no change could be detrimental as well. There's an understanding now among activists that if an injunction does pass, 
The blockade at Ferry Creek could grow in number by dozens, if not hundreds. I personally am interested in doing whatever I can to save the trees, whether that means getting arrested on the bridge today or going out to the front lines next week. Nonviolent civil disobedience has a long history of being successful where other kinds of lobbying and advocacy have failed. And that Saturday's demonstrations where a handful were arrested could be the start of the province's next headline-grabbing environmental standoff. Amadagahi, Global News. A Canadian coal mining company operating in the Elk Valley has been slapped with an historic fine. A judge has ordered tech resources to pay a $60 million penalty for contaminating waterways in southeastern B.C. It's the largest fine issued under the Fisheries Act. Tech pleaded guilty to charges of releasing selenium and calcite into the Elk and Fording Rivers following an investigation in 2012. It's really pocket changed tech. Um, you know, they're making profits of, of billions of dollars a year in the Elk Valley from coal. And, and so for them, it, it's fundamentally cheaper to pollute than it is to clean up their act. The nonprofit conservation group WildSight says the decision should be a wake up call to both the BC and Alberta governments, suggesting this should trigger a pause on all approvals for coal mine development. Those COVID-19 rebate checks from ICBC are now slowly being mailed out. The insurance corporation says it has started mailing the checks in small batches, having sent out more than 30,000 this past week. ICBC says it's continuing to work on options to send out more in the coming weeks. The distribution was supposed to begin March 15th, but was delayed after a cyber attack. ICBC claims there's no indication any information was stolen in that security breach and its systems remain secure. Returning now to breaking news and that fatal mass stabbing in North Vancouver, the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team is providing an update now. Let's go there now. In North Vancouver, our CMP first responders rushed as quickly as possible to the scene uh, and they came upon a uh, very disturbing scene. Uh, we have multiple victims of a stabbing. Um, we have six victims who sustained uh, stab wounds. Uh, we have one victim who has uh, sadly succumbed to injuries. Um, that victim is a woman, and that is all the details I have at the moment. Now, uh, we have uh, the officers that responded uh, did a great job given the circumstances, the chaos that ensued. Uh, here. Uh, one man was taken into custody uh, and uh, he is uh, currently in custody uh, with the North Vancouver RCMP. Uh, we don't believe that there is any further uh, risk uh, to the safety of the community, to public safety as a result of what happened. We, we believe we have the lone suspect in custody. Um, obviously the question is why did this happen, I understand. We know, uh, we believe, we know the who, the what, the where, and the when. It is our job now to determine the why. Uh, there's a number of witnesses. We are speaking with a number of witnesses. But right now, because it is so early in the investigation, we need every possible witness to please contact us at IHIT uh, or the North Vancouver RCMP. You have every available IHIT homicide detective here in North Vancouver this afternoon. And every, and every available North Vancouver serious crime investigator working on this. If you were here this afternoon and you saw or heard anything suspicious, and I know we say that all the time, but 
every little thing is important on this one. Uh, if you heard anything, if you heard uh, the, if you were here and you saw the one person, the, the man that was taken into custody, if you he, if he heard him say anything or uh, whatever the case may be, we need you to, uh, we need you to come forward, uh, call the North Bank of our SMP, or better yet, just come to the detachment and we'll speak with you right away. Uh, we also need video. If you were driving through this area of Lin, of Lin Valley and you have dash cam video or you had, may have had your cell phone out and you were you know, out here just, you know, enjoying the afternoon before all of this, and you happened to get a, uh, you were pointing in the direction of the library, you were in and around the, li uh, the area of the library. We need that footage right away. It is imperative. Um, we're not overlooking anything on this. And uh, it was brought to our attention that, uh, perhaps it was on media or uh, social media, I believe, um, there were uh, footage taken of the victims. If you have that footage, we ask you not to put it, to upload it onto social media, okay? That we ask that you respect uh, the victims of this uh, afternoon's uh, heinous act. Uh, I understand uh, there's going to be a lot of questions, so I'm gonna stop there and I'll entertain any questions you may have. Is the suspect cooperating with you? Has he spoken with you yet? Uh, we haven't spoken to him yet. We're gonna make attempts to do so. Um, so our suspect, I can tell you that uh, he's had police interactions in the past. He does have a criminal record. And obviously, one of the priorities is to look into his past. And I said, and I said it before, but the question of why, motive, why exactly would drive somebody to do what, it, uh, what they did this afternoon? That is going to be the number one question for us. Is he hospitalized and what conditions he in? Well, he's alive. Uh, I'm not sure um, if he um, sustained any injuries. I, I understand there's footage circulating on social media about the arrest uh, that was made by the North Vancouver RCMP. Um, I'd like to remind people, again, that that kind of footage is obviously very important to us. So instead of just circulating amongst your followers on social media, there is a very important police homicide. Now it's a homicide investigation we're looking at here. It's imperative that you take that footage and you, and, and you provide it to us. Please, we're asking you. We need that footage, okay? Um, so, I, you know, there's footage already on social media, but if anybody else has footage, uh, again, we need that now, right now. What can you say about the, the other victims? How old they are? What are their conditions like this? Yes, so I was anticipating that question, and the, and the best I can uh, offer you is, oh, we don't know. This is uh, this is how early it is. Um, many of them, well, all of them, they, they sustained injuries, okay? Um, it is, uh, we are trying to make sense of everything that's happened, okay? And that includes uh, the, uh, uh, the identity of our of our other victims and so we're going to obviously they've gone through a very traumatic incident i think that's a that's a gross understatement uh, we're going to allow uh, the medical professionals uh, to uh, to attend to them to attend to their injuries uh, and when they're ready uh, hopefully soon uh, we'll be able to learn exactly what they saw and what they heard The best answer that I can provide you at this time is we don't know because we need to, we don't have 
the identities of all of our victims. Yeah. So once we learn that, uh, we'll learn, you know, um, we'll have more information at that point. But really right now is we don't even know all the identities of all of our victims. We have a number that is six, six victims uh, that sustained injuries, okay, and the one victim who uh, unfortunately died. Um, but please, but please understand how early it is in, in the investigation it is. Uh, and it, it happened, all of this transpired at around 1.40, okay? Uh, so just uh, just over four hours ago, and that might seem like a long time to the public. For us, we're just only now getting prepared. We're having, we're doing a complete and thorough briefing with all of the first responders that attended. And once we are armed with all of that information, then our detectives and our partners, we're going to fan out and, um, and do other follow-up in, uh, investigations, follow-up interviews. But right now, we are just in the, uh, the setting up stages of what is going to be a very long investigation. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the information is that uh, she was she was a woman. Other than that, I don't even have a name for you. Uh, not that I would provide that given. Um, in all of this, in, in all the words that I'm speaking to you right now, I'm, I'm mindful of the families. Um, I don't. I don't. I can't imagine what they're going through right now. And I'm I'm trying to uh, do my best to uh, capture what happened this afternoon uh, with the right words. And, I, and I'm struggling, but. No, no, I don't. It's a woman. Is there any kids or victims? Because of course it's at the library Saturday yep. afternoon. Yes. Do we have any kids? I would imagine so. It's, it's spring break. So put yourself in their shoes. There's parents and, and children behind. Um, yeah, I wish I had answers for you. I don't, I, we don't know. But um, we believe we have the person responsible in custody. We're gonna we're gonna do our best to get those answers for you. Is there concern that any other victims might sustain other injuries? I don't have an update on that. We certainly hope not. Um, just to give the sensitivity, the fact that we are now. All right, uh, Frank Jang of IHIT updating a fatal stabbing rampage that happened near Lynn Valley this afternoon at 1:36. Victims, including one fatality. He says one man is in custody and there is no further risk to the public right now. The suspect has not been named but does have a criminal record. Um, police have not determined a motive for this crime and are looking for witnesses to come forward and want any video of the incident that might be out there. As we get more information in on this breaking story, we will be bringing it to you throughout the newscast. Well, some members of the Vancouver Park Board are speaking out tonight after the chaos that erupted in the Strathcona tent city this week. Two fires broke out and there were two overdoses, one of them fatal. Now, as Paul Johnson reports, there are demands to remove all of the explosive accelerants from the encampment. A structure in the Strathcona encampment going up in flames Friday afternoon. Witnesses could hear several explosions that they thought were propane tanks going off. No one was hurt, but it was the second suspected arson within 24 hours. Also troubling was this. Chrissy, you're going to have to let us go. No, don't touch me. Chrissy, Chris, don't touch me. Chrissy, this is a public place. So you can he can go do protocol. And That's camp leader Chrissy Brett, 
trying to stop Global News and the police from investigating the fire. A day later, nothing appears to have been done about the fire and explosion danger in the camp. On Saturday, Global News found dozens of tanks of propane, fuel, even a tank of highly explosive acetylene right next to the public garden there. I think that we've got to look after the safety of the people that are close to this park. Park Board Commissioner Tricia Barker says as someone who's experienced homelessness herself, that problem is no reason to abandon public safety and the rule of law. Here's a look at the stolen bike chop shop currently operating in the park. And here's how one of the campers responded to the news media showing up. But it's time to go now. Okay? Really, it's time to go. You got a camera? Because you're going to want to take me swinging this stick at him real soon. We had explosions. We've had fires. This is beyond um, serious. This, is a, this needs to be dealt with, and it needs to be dealt with now. Park Board Commissioner John Cooper is calling for the immediate removal of the explosion hazards. He's not certain why neither the park general manager nor the park board chair, Camille Dumont, have not done so. Saturday, Attorney General David Eby said the past 24 hours confirmed the camp isn't safe for anyone. He supports the plan to clear it next month, though that's not fast enough for Barker. If there's anything in this park that could hurt other people, it's got to be fixed now. In East Vancouver, Paul Johnson, Global News. An Ontario doctor has been charged with first-degree murder, and police say the investigation is far from over. Dr. Brian Nadler, who specializes in internal medicine, was working at a hospital in Hawkesbury, a town located between Ottawa and Montreal. Police are looking into what they describe as multiple suspicious deaths. As Travis Donrush reports, the scope of their probe may extend across the country and into the United States. I was kind of shocked when I heard the news. For eight days last month, Sebastian Fournier was a patient at this Hawkesbury hospital. He is still coming to terms with the fact his lung therapist, someone he describes as professional and funny, is now charged with first-degree murder. The doctor I saw was uh, very uh, passionate about his work and uh, very attentive to his patient care. Dr. Brian Nadler was arrested Thursday night after officers were called to the hospital to investigate a suspicious death. Ontario Provincial Police say they are now looking into multiple suspicious deaths. That's when the scope expanded and now we are looking at uh, multiple recent deaths uh, at the facility. So it's still, this is still a very new investigation. Nadler received his degree from McGill University in Montreal in 2010. He went on to do a residency at the University of Alberta in Edmonton until 2014, then headed to Saskatchewan. Documents from that province's College of Physicians and Surgeons show he was charged with two counts of unprofessional conduct. A report shows Nadler used misogynistic profanity to describe an attending physician at a Saskatoon hospital and said he felt like slapping her. He resigned from the residency program in 2018, ended up in Reno, Nevada, where he was employed as a geriatric fellow at the university there. He returned to Canada and was licensed last year in Ontario. It's unclear when he started working at the hospital in Hawkesbury. Well, first off, we can't speculate where this is going to go. Right now, we have one person accused of one charge of first-degree murder. Global News reached out to police in Nevada and Saskatchewan to see if they had been contacted by Ontario Provincial Police. We did not hear back before deadline. Nadler's lawyer would only say this. Dr. Nadler maintains his innocence, 
We will be defending him rigorously. Fournier says news of the murder charge has spread quickly in the small community, but maintains the doctor gave him excellent care. No, I didn't see anything wrong with his attitude or his uh, personality. 35-year-old Nadler is also licensed to practice in Quebec, but never has. His next court appearance is scheduled for April 6th. Travis Danraj, Global News, Toronto. In Health Matters tonight, Canadian Blood Services says donations from those who have had COVID-19 are safe. The Blood Donation Agency says since COVID is a respiratory virus, there is no impact to the blood as far as transmission to a patient is concerned. The agency has added some pre-screening questions about whether a potential donor has been exposed in the past two weeks or contracted the COVID in the past 28 days. It adds those not feeling well after receiving the vaccine or long-haul patients still under the care of a doctor are not eligible to donate. Oh my God, stop, dude, what do I do? Stop, dude, stop. The poll that made for a precarious predicament for some BC drivers. We're going to have that for you right after Yvonne's forecast. Um, well, good thing the rain hasn't started in earnest because that would have made that situation even worse. Yeah, and we are tracking some rain that is going to move in. Uh, we've got very windy conditions and we've got a significant amount of snow if you're traveling along the mountain passes. And I'll show you more in just a moment. Here's what it looks like outside right now overlooking English Bay. We're sitting at 9 and we've got a southeasterly wind at 15 kilometers per hour. Starting to track some rain, especially for eastern areas, stretching into the Fraser Valley. Bit of a dry patch still along the west end, but it is going to start to pick up and we'll see that across the island as well. Well, here's a look at the numbers. Six overnight, very windy through the day tomorrow. We could see gusts between 60 and up to 80 kilometers per hour. Here's the frontal system that is going to push in. Heads up for the early morning hours along the island. Higher elevations could see some wet flurries and then changing over to showers and the snow, especially for higher elevations along the mountain passes. That's we'll see it accumulating, and these are additional amounts through the day. Tomorrow, 15 and up to 25 centimeters. That's the Coquihalla from Hope to Merritt, and areas along the Kootenay Pass, even looking at that range between 10 and up to 20. So check in with drivebc.ca for the latest road conditions. Inland tomorrow, we'll also see a few flurries changing over to showers. We've got snow for areas near Fort Nelson, 10 and up to 15 centimeters before it starts to ease off. The wet flurries across the central interior will be for the morning hours, and then it'll change over to a chance of showers. Most areas, though, it's rain for lower elevations. It's really higher elevations that will still see that snow intensify through the day. And along the south coast, a few spots along the island for higher elevations. Could see a few wet flurries. We've got a blustery one for tomorrow. The winds are really going to start to kick up through the day. And then once we get past it, we've got plenty of sunshine. Great looking forecast into next week. Colleen? Does look good. Thanks so much, Yvonne. A scary incident near Golden Ears Provincial Park on Wednesday. Have a look. Oh my God! A couple of hikers were leaving the park at around 4.30 Wednesday afternoon when a truck with a pole hanging off the back was coming right towards them. After repeatedly honking and shouting, the truck stopped just in time. It appears the driver tried to lift the truck to shake the pole loose at some point. We're not sure how the pole ended up hooked on the truck in the first place, as the witnesses didn't see the truck hit it. My goodness. 
Returning now to breaking news about a deadly mass stabbing in North Vancouver. One person has died and a suspect is in custody after an attack in and around the Lynn Valley Library this afternoon. Our Julia Foy joins us live from North Vancouver. Julia. Well, Colleen, you know, this is the last weekend of spring break. So there were a lot of families and children in and around this area going into the library and moving around in the mall. No one actually knew what was going on in those first few minutes. There was so much shock and then so much mayhem as a person, a man, started stabbing people in the library and on the street outside. Now, as you mentioned, we know that one person, uh, Sergeant Frank Jang, is identified as a woman, was killed or died shortly after. There are still six people at least in hospital with, uh, he couldn't give us an update on their status, but this is uh, what Sergeant Frank Jang had to say from IHIT just a few minutes ago. You have every available IHIT homicide detective here in North Vancouver this afternoon, and every, pos and every available North Vancouver serious crime investigator working on this. If you were here this afternoon, and you saw or heard anything suspicious. And I know we say that all the time, but every little thing is important on this one. It was quite an emotional press conference, actually. I hadn't seen Sergeant Jang really looking quite, quite upset about how this whole community has been affected. Uh, again, he is asking for anyone that was in the area to perhaps send any dash cam or viewer video. He was a little concerned at how fast a very serious video of the takedown was put up on social media before the police had even had access to it. So again, if you do have some information for the police, please reach out to IHIT or North Vancouver RCMP. Back to you. Julia, thank you. We're going to have one more update on the tragedy that unfolded in North Vancouver this afternoon. But right now, it's time for sports, and Barry is here with that. And of course, starting with the Canucks, what else? Talk a little hockey. Thanks, Colleen. Yeah, the Canucks uh, were on the ice today practicing for the first time since their Wednesday night loss against the Jets. They'll take two more days off before practicing again Tuesday and then finally resuming game action Wednesday against Calgary. This week, uh, this week off was supposed to be the time other teams were to make up games in hand on the Canucks, but the Canadians are in COVID pause and won't play again until Tuesday. So the Canucks remain fifth in the north ahead of the Flames, but still two points behind Montreal, but with six more games played. NHL tonight, Oilers and Leafs. Edmonton had their three-game series with Montreal wiped out due to the Canadians' COVID issues, but they stayed out east. They should be well-rested. Second period, Connor McDavid shows that dazzling speed, and at high speed fires a perfect pass to Leon Dreisaitl. An incredible play. Watch McDavid take a peek there and then find Dreisaitl for his 19th. Doesn't get much better than that. 2-1 Oilers. Least power play, Austin Matthews one-time blast, but a great glove save by Mike Smith. Matthews in a bit of a slump, hasn't scored in about five, six games. Moments later, Oilers score a pretty one. Dreisaitl blind back pass to Tyson Berry, the former Maple Leaf. He certainly didn't play like that in Toronto last year. 3-1 Edmonton. Dreisaitl and McDavid five points at the, that point, but the Leafs rally two quick ones in the third. And then Austin Matthews has just scored an overtime. Nylander tied it. Matthews in OT. So Toronto comes back and wins. Islanders and Penguins from Pittsburgh. Sid Crosby and the Pens happen to do without Evgeny Malkin for the next few weeks. Penguins getting some secondary scoring 
Frederick Gaudreau, the former Nashville Predator, with his first as a Penguin. They led 2-0 after one second period. Crosby will dig out a loose puck and bank it in off the defenseman trying to play goalie for the Islanders. It's 3-0, and then Brian Rust will score two quick ones. This one on the rebound, 5-0 Penguins in control. But we got to show you this, even though the Isles were out of it. How about... Coquitlam's uh, Matthew Barzell showing off that incredible speed, flying into the zone and then finish it with a perfect shot. His 10th, but not enough as the Penguins win 6-3. to three. Canadians are making their presence felt at the Miami Open Tennis Tournament this week. Bianca Andreescu and Felix Auger-Aliassime are already into the third round. Today, Milos Raonic and Denis Shapovalov were looking to join them. Raonic was first up, taking on Australian Jordan Thompson, and Milos was in control from the outset. Nice way to ease into the tournament. Already up a break in the first set. This is set point. Guides the backhand winner down the line. And he took that opening set six games to two. Milos was serving Rockets again. Thompson got to this one, but Raonic with the clean forehand winner. But uh, the Milos, the missile, was in fine form. 15 aces, including this one, just too easy. And then on match point, a second serve goes for it and rips another race down the tee. In just 59 minutes, Raonic advances to the third round, 6-2-6-1. You'll meet Frenchman Hugo Humbert next. Meanwhile, Denis Shapovalov, the sixth seed, taking on Ilya Avashka of Belarus, ranked about 100 places lower than Denis, but uh, certainly Denis got a, a lot of work in this one, and it was Avashka with the great shot here. He actually took the first set 7-6 in a tiebreak. This was a marathon three-set match. Second set, Shapovalov up a break, showing his defense, gives it every ounce of effort, pays off with the running forehand winner. This match was chock full of great points. Later in the set, deep ground strokes by both players. Shapovalov will end up digging it off his shoelaces for the volley winner at the net. Great skill by Dennis. Won the second set, 6-4. Third set, tied three all. Again, these two with some crushing ground strokes. And this time, Shapovalov rips the forehand winner to go up 4-3 after the break. Then came a rain delay that lasted about 51 minutes. When they resumed, Dennis with a chance to serve for the match. And he seals it with an ace. It took over three hours on court. But Shapovalov prevails 6-4 in the third to move on to the third round. WGC Dell match play round of 16 this morning from Austin, Texas. Canadian Mackenzie Hughes taking on Sergio Garcia. Fifth hole, Hughes down one, but a nice approach here. Stops at about six feet from the hole, made the birdie putt, and evened up the match. Eighth hole, a big momentum swing for Garcia. He's got about 30 feet for par. Needs to make it to have the hole, and he does. Hughes a little stunned. So instead of being one up, it remains tied. Good putt, Sergio, but that stings. Garcia went on a run. Was it two up at the 11th? But Hughes made some big shots of his own. Drains the birdie putt here to win the hole and get back to within one. But on the 13th, the drivable par four, playing about 295, Sergio, driver in hand, and just... Hits this one on the screws, lands it softly as well, 11 feet away. He would win the hole to go two up. 17th hole, Hughes with a chance 
to extend the match. Has to make this to extend it, but slides it by. A valiant effort, but he falls 2-1 and one to Garcia, who later lost in the quarters. He was one 189,000. Billy Horschel versus Victor Perez and Matt Kuchar versus Scotty Scheffler in the semis. And we'll show you this. Red Bull Super Ski Cross from Switzerland. Final ski cross race of the year. All the world's top racers invited. And that means Canada's Reese Howden. He, of course, won the overall World Cup this title. The pride of Cultus Lake showed his quality again. As usual, Red Bull putting up a challenging course. Looks like a James Bond chase scene. It's a tight finish and it's Howden winning literally by an inch. Another great result for Howden as he finishes off the season in style. Okay, we know that Okanagan real estate has been a hot topic lately with soaring prices and low inventory. Well, one man in Kelowna is putting his house on the market, but he isn't looking for cash in return. Darian Matassa-Fung has more on this unique listing. There's excitement, apprehension, of course, because people tell you a little bit crazy, but I mean, that's not really anything new for me. An Okanagan man is listing his home early next week. However, it will not be sold for cash. Instead, Jay Johnson will be trading his home for cryptocurrency. Well, I decided to put my, mar or my house up for sale, and I wanted to do it in a way that is just this radical way, so I'm putting it on the market for Bitcoin and in exchange for Bitcoin. Johnson says he was motivated by tech moguls such as Elon Musk and the progression of Bitcoin in the past year. I believe in this technology so much that I'm not an innovator by any means, but I'm an early adopter. So I feel I'm going to be rewarded by for that. And um, I'm going to trade it for Bitcoin. And those Bitcoins are going to be worth a lot more than they're worth today. So exactly how many Bitcoins will get you this house? Tamara Stone, Johnson's realtor, says it'll take more than just a couple. 12.25 bitcoins and this house can be yours. Currently, a single bitcoin is worth nearly $71,000. But before negotiations could begin, Stone says she had to check with her legal team to see if it was even possible. Turns out it is completely legal. Never in my 25 and a half year career, I have never had somebody want to sell a house for bitcoin. So it's, you know, we had to do a bit of a calculation, figure out, okay, well, What's market value if we're if we're listing this on the MLS? That's about eight hundred and fifty thousand Canadian. Johnson says once the house is sold, he is planning on living a more nomadic lifestyle. I wanted to live in a teepee at one point. I mean, it sounds pretty out there, um, and I don't mean to sort of discredit uh, Bitcoin by saying I'm thinking of living in a teepee. But I think lots of people are looking for space during COVID. And the hot real estate market tells us lots of people are looking for houses in the Okanagan right now. So Johnson's unconventional plans just might work out. Darian Matassafung, Global News, Kelowna. I hope it does. Mm, yeah. Or magic beans, I'm thinking of. I think you might <laughs> Worked for right. that one kid. It did, yeah. indeed. That's the news hour for tonight. We have one final update on the tragic mass stabbing in North Vancouver today. A woman has died and six others are injured. A suspect known to police is in custody. Please join Jordan Armstrong tonight at 11 for the very latest. In the meantime, have a good night.